Good morning, third service. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, it's great to see. I don't know if you can tell. I am wearing my first pair of cowboy boots this morning. Somebody, uh, I'll say my nephew bought these for me, so that was really kind of him. And uh, I just learned after first service, they're not actually called cowboy boots, they're western boots, okay? So I'm not a cowboy, so I don't know. But yeah, they're really nice, they're very comfortable, and I guess I'm ready for my line dancing now, and so, <laughs> no, I have no way. Well, it is great to see you guys this morning. Did you get all plowed out of your snow yesterday? Man, it just kept coming and coming and coming. I'm like, man, this is great. Now, how many, how many inches did you guys get? Yeah, it was like eight, eight, right? That's, I mean, it was a, a bunch of snow that we got. But if you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Ushers will get that to you. If you need a pen, hold up a couple fingers. They'll get that to you as well. Um, I'm excited for spring to come. I'm exp- excited for humidity to be finally back in the air because I have everything is so dry in my house. I've been itching like crazy and... I don't know about you guys, but when I take a shower and I go to bed at night, I try to go to sleep before the itching starts. Because once that itching starts, it's like it's over. Because I'll be like, I'll itch, and then it bounces over here, and you're like, then it's like up here, and then you're all chasing this itch all over your whole body. It's like, drives me crazy. But So that leaves in spring, so thank goodness for that. All right, well, guys, it is great to have all of you here this morning. We are in the midst of our series on piercing the darkness where we have been focusing on becoming a church family that goes out into the world and plunders the kingdom of darkness by piercing it with the light of Jesus. And we've talked about all sorts of topics in this series so far, but the last two sermons we've been talking about the gospel, the good news. And we've spent some time looking at the gospel that Christianity has been proclaiming, and we tried to... In, in a sense, separate it into two different viewpoints, the left and the right. We talked about the social justice gospel, the gospel on the left, and we talked about the atonement gospel, the gospel on the right. And last week, we talked about the gospel that Jesus proclaimed, which is the gospel of the kingdom of God. Now, I know that what we've been talking about the last several weeks has been a bit controversial, okay, or at least thought-provoking. It's made us think about some things. It's made us reevaluate some things, and Listen, that's not my intention. I'm not just doing this for the sake of trying to create controversy. I'm covering this stuff because I want to try to stick as close as we can to what Jesus did and to what Jesus taught. Because here's my concern, and you've heard me say this over and over again. When I look at the church across our nation, and by the way, when I say church, I'm talking about Christians. I I know some of you might not like the way I use church as a broad Uh, definition, but it's exactly what I'm talking about. The church, people who call themselves Christians, people who say that they're followers of Jesus Christ, people who would say that they're part of the bride of Christ. Whether they are or not is up to God, but they claim to be part of the church, okay? That's who I'm talking about. When I look at this group of people, people who call themselves a church, I see that there's been a culture shift in how we live our lives. And I've used this analogy before. I'll use it again But let's picture that that wall right there represents God in all of his holiness and righteousness and his being set apart from the rest of the universe. So there's God as a holy, most holy God. And that wall represents the world, okay? It represents the world, the kingdom of darkness, sinfulness, evilness, I mean, complete and utter wickedness, okay? And the Christian finds himself here. And what what I see happening in the church today is rather than focus on God, they focus and they look at the world and they say, oh my word, is that world so evil? At least I'm not like the world. 
and they see this distance between them and the world, and they're like, I'm, I'm thankful I'm not like the world. The only problem is, is the world keeps getting more and more evil. It keeps going that direction. And what if you pay attention to Christianity, pay attention to the church, what happens is the church keeps moving this way. It keeps moving towards the world, but the world keeps going that way. And we still sit here and go, well, at least I'm not like the world. At least I'm not as evil as them. When the whole time, where should we be looking? We should be looking at God. We should turn this direction and go, oh, my word, that's what I'm supposed to be like. My life should be living out the holiness of God, the righteousness of God, the goodness of God. We should be holding ourselves up to that, not that. Okay? Now, so when I'm talking about the church, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about you. I'm talking about me. People who want to take our walk with God seriously. This is what I've been seeing happen to the church. We don't live holy lives. We still struggle with the same sin we've been struggling with for decades. We live weak and powerless lives. And I don't know about you, but quite frankly, I'm sick of it. I want my life to look like Jesus, and I want my life to manifest the power of the kingdom of God in, in how I live and how I act. And that's what I want for Whitestone. I don't want Whitestone to look like what so many Christians look like in this world, which is not much different than the world. Brennan Manning said this, and I think I've used this before, but it's so true. He says, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is, guess who? Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and then they walk out the door and they deny him with their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving, unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. I don't want that for us. I want our lives and I want our lifestyle to declare to an unbelieving world that our God is alive. That our God is powerful. That our God is a God of love. That our God is a God who cares that our God is a God who rescues, a God who sets us free from sin. And I want our lives to manifest that to an unbelieving world. Amen? Amen. So that's why we've been focusing on this stuff. If we're going to pierce the kingdom of darkness with his light, we had better live as light. And unfortunately, when I look around at our current Christianity, I don't see that happening. And it's my personal opinion, my belief, that the current gospel that the church is proclaiming is part of the problem. Believe that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin, and you'll go to heaven when you die. You may not be perfect, but at least you are forgiven. As long as you prayed the prayer, you're good to go. Obedience to Jesus, it's optional. Discipleship to Jesus, it's optional. Following Jesus is optional. I've got my ticket to heaven. I can live my life as I want right now. Now, while we may raise our hackles to what I just said and be a little offended by what I said, the truth is that is exactly what's been happening. Look around. Church is filled with people who live like that and act like that. Because unfortunately, that is the good news they've been given. The good news is for the life to come. Heaven. But the life right now is left undealt with. The life right now is often a life of prison. But that isn't what Jesus came for. He didn't come to this earth 
live how he lived, taught what he taught, die on the cross, raise from the dead, ascend to the Father, send us the Holy Spirit just so we could live life like the rest of the world lives and wait until we go to heaven to finally experience freedom. He came for so much more than that. Let me show you what he came for. In Ephesians 5, this is a passage where it talks about husbands and wives. But as it wraps up, it goes this, in 25. It says, husbands, love your wives. Love them just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy. Cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as a radiant church. Without stain, without wrinkle, without any other blemish. But holy and blameless. You see that? The church, the body of Christ, the bride of Christ is meant to be holy and blameless, without stain, without wrinkle, without blemish. How do you think we're doing with that? I wouldn't say we're doing all that great at all. Unfortunately, the Christian culture has knowingly or unknowingly embraced a culture of looking good without being good. Saying that we're followers of Jesus without really following Jesus. And that's why we see ourselves in the state that we're in. And that should concern us, White Zone. This is what I see in Scripture of how we're supposed to live. Pay attention to this. In Ephesians, it says, For he chose us in him before the creation of this world to be what? Holy and blameless in his sight. Philippians, it says, So that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Also in Philippians it says, so that you may become what? Blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. First Thessalonians it says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept what? Blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In 2 Peter, it says, So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found what? Spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. And guys, that's just a drop in the bucket of all the verses that tell us that. It is very clear, according to Scripture, that the bride of Christ, the church, Christians, are meant to be holy and blameless, set apart from the world like that wall. Let me show you another very sobering yet powerful few verses found in 1 John chapter 2. It says this, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in them. And this is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. Now, let me connect some dots for us this morning. By the way, guys, I'm gonna be, you're going to be drinking from a fire hose this morning, and I'm sorry for that, but I need you to lean in. I need you to pay attention to this because this is super important stuff, okay? But I'm going to try to connect some dots, and I need you to, to grasp this. And we're going to be bouncing around in you know, different passages of the Bible to point things out, so just hang with me. And I'd encourage you, if you miss all the references, you can come back and you can listen to this online. But let's look at this verse here, and I want you to say out loud, we know that we have come to what? Know him. Know him. Now, can anybody tell me, what's another term for knowing him? 
Relationship. Somebody said something over here. Interactive relationship. What's another term for that? Eternal life. Now, this is something we talk about a lot. Let me talk about a lot. What is knowing God? It's eternal life. And you're like, what? Really? Well, let me show you. In John 17, chapter 3, this is in Jesus' prayer, and this is what he says. He says this, and this is eternal life. Now, when he says that, we should go, whoa, okay, Jesus, what is eternal life? Tell me. That they may what? Know you. Know who? Know God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. Eternal life is knowing God. Now, is it just knowing him up here in our brains? No, what is it? Somebody said it before. An interactive relationship, exactly. So knowing God, interactive relationship, is eternal life. So let's back up to 1 John and let's plug in eternal life here whenever we see the words knowing him and see what this verse tells us. In 1 John it says, we know that we have eternal life if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I have eternal life, but does not do what he commands is a liar and the truth is not in that person. Eternal life is knowing God. Say it with me, third service. Ready? Out loud. Eternal life is knowing God. If we know God, we are obeying his commands. Say that with me out loud this morning. If we know God, we are obeying his commands. Does that make sense? Let that sink in. Eternal life lived out in the present life is obedience to God. So living out eternal, an eternal kind of life is manifested in obedience to, to God. Is everybody still with me? Yes. Okay, let's keep unpacking this. Let's look at the most famous verse ever in the Bible, John 3, 16. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Okay, a, a precious, amazing verse that in my opinion has been misunderstood by so many. But God so loved this world, a world that was perishing, he loved it so much that he sent Jesus to this earth. And whoever, and I mean whoever, fat, skinny, tall, short, poor, rich, smart, dumb, it doesn't matter, whoever believes in Jesus, they will not perish, but they will have what? Eternal life. Once again, just remind me, what is eternal life? Knowing God. Now, notice again what this verse is saying. What does it say that we're to believe in? Who's him? Jesus. The good news of the kingdom of God starts with believing in Jesus, not something Jesus did. It doesn't say, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whosoever believes that Jesus died on the cross, it doesn't say that. It says that if we believe in Jesus... And if we believe in Jesus, what does it say we will have? Eternal life. Now, does that mean going to heaven when we die? No, what is eternal life? Knowing God. Having an interactive relationship with the Trinitarian God. Now, remember verses in 1 John. If we have eternal life, what will we do? We will follow his commands. We will obey him. That's how we know that we have eternal life, if we obey him. 
The reason the good news of the kingdom of God starts with believing in Jesus is because if we believe in Jesus, we will choose to obey Jesus, okay? So believe in Jesus produces obedience to Jesus, which is then eternal life. If you believe in Jesus, then you believe he's right about everything, and I mean everything. Therefore, I'm gonna obey him because I know he's right. Obeying him proves that I know him. Now, does everyone see why that is so important? Because if someone just believes in something Jesus did, his dying on the cross, then he or she may not ever choose to follow Jesus or obey him. They just know they have their ticket to heaven, and that's all that matters. Obedience to Jesus isn't part of the program. But according to these verses, we see that they're missing what Jesus is saying. They're missing everything. And quite frankly, in my opinion, that's not a great place to be. Because the flip side to this is also true. Jesus also says this in John 3, 36. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Yep, we know that. But look what he goes on to say. Whoever does not, say it with me, obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. You see that? Just like belief in Jesus is synonymous to obedience to Jesus, which leads to eternal life, the flip side is true too. If you don't obey Jesus, it proves you don't believe in Jesus, and therefore you don't have eternal life. Now I bring this up because I feel like the atonement gospel missed this piece. And in my opinion, if you miss this piece, you miss one of the most important pieces of the gospel. You see, often those who promote the atonement gospel will take you to this verse. Let me just show you this verse. It's found in Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10. It says this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Okay? Now, most of us have heard of these verses. But do you see that phrase there that says, declare with your mouth, and the other phrase where it says, it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved? Those two phrases. In the atonement gospel presentation, declaring with your mouth that Jesus is Lord is praying the prayer. Okay? When you pray the prayer, you are professing your faith. So, check one. Next, it says, we're told to believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead. Now, in the atonement gospel, that is believing that Jesus died on the cross. If God rose him from the dead, then obviously it proves that he died on the cross for my sins. I believe in that. So, check number two. I, I confess with my mouth, and I believe that he died on the cross. Check, check, I'm saved. That is the key verse that's used in the atonement gospel. Here's the problem. I feel like they're missing the point of this verse. And let me explain. If I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord... What am I declaring? I'll tell you what I'm declaring. I'm declaring that Jesus is Lord of all, that he's sovereign over everything, that he has all authority, he has all power in the entire universe. Now, now tell me, how could I ever declare that? I'll tell you how I can declare that, because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus stepped out of his own tomb. No man has ever done that. Of course he's Lord. He just proved it by doing that. Now, if I believe that and I declare that Jesus is Lord, tell me, Whitestone, what is my life going to look like? 
It will become a life of serving him and obeying him and doing what he says. And why? Because he's Lord. Obedience to Jesus is absolutely necessary because he's Lord. Belief in Jesus that Jesus is Lord is going to lead to obedience to Jesus. It's just a natural byproduct. If obedience isn't there, something is wrong. You obviously don't believe he is Lord. Jesus even says that. He, he, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and then don't do what I say? Calling Jesus Lord and not obeying him doesn't fly. But sadly, in the atonement gospel, it does fly. Obedience to Jesus, following Jesus, is optional. But as we can see, it isn't with Jesus. Look at these words of Jesus. These are words that Jesus spoke in his Sermon on the Mount, and they are some of the most sobering words that Jesus ever uttered. Let me show you. Matthew chapter 7. He says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But only, only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. Now look at those verses, third service, and tell me, who is it that enters into the kingdom of heaven? Only the what? Ones who do the will of the Father. Only the obedient ones. Many on that day will come and say, Lord, Lord. But he says, get away from me. I never what? Knew you. In other words, you don't have eternal life. You don't know me and I don't know you. Only obedient ones know the Father. Only obedient ones have eternal life. Now those are scary words. But you know what? The only reason they're scary is because we have been conditioned to think that obedience to Jesus is optional. But Jesus is telling us clear as day that it isn't. We must obey him. Over and over and over again in the Gospels, Jesus keeps saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. Follow me. Everywhere he went, he told people that. I think it's very important that we follow him. Amen? Amen? Now, it would be easy to be sitting here and almost feel like God is being a bit of a tyrant. Why all these demands to be obedient to him? Why all this follow me business? Seems a little much. Well, let me tell you why obedience to Jesus is so important. Because the end game of the gospel is to lead us to salvation. That's why. Remember, Jesus came to this earth to rescue us. He came to set us free from the kingdom of darkness, to release prisoners, to set the oppressed free. Remember, we were under this tyrannical leader called Satan, but Jesus has come, come to set us free from that. Salvation is the end game. And so we need to know what that word salvation actually means because we use it like crazy in our Christian realm. We, we throw around that word saved and salvation like crazy. Like for instance, what question do we normally ask when we want to know if someone's a Christian? Are you saved? We ask that all the time. Is, do you think Johnny's even saved? We need to get Bobby saved. 
Guys, you bring your friends to church and I'll get them saved. We use that word saved all the time. It's a Christian-y term. And that word saved refers to salvation. Now, think about this. What is commonly meant when we use that word saved? What does it mean to be saved? They go to heaven when they die. In the atonement gospel setting, to be saved means you're going to heaven when you die. So the end game for the gospel of atonement is heaven when you die. Your sins are forgiven. You get to go to heaven when you die. That's what salvation means in the atonement gospel. But you know, sometimes I wonder if people who call themselves Christians, they're saved, I wonder if they'd even enjoy heaven. I wonder if they'd even like it. If they don't want to include God in their life in the here and now, if they don't want to, to do what Jesus says now, if they don't want to follow Jesus in their present life, I'm not sure heaven's going to be such a great place for them. Because God and Jesus is going to be right up in their grill. They're going to be face to face with God. You won't be able to get away from God in heaven. That might not be so great for a person who doesn't want to include him in their life now. Something to consider. But you see, salvation is so much more than heaven. So much more. It's meant for us now. Salvation is here, not there. It's for the here and now. And what I mean by that is we don't have to wait for salvation. You know, salvation in its most basic form is deliverance. When you look at salvation in the Bible, that word means deliverance. Deliverance from what? Well, we talked about it from the kingdom of darkness, from Satan, from sin, from a life of death. Remember last week? Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. What are the works of the devil? Do you remember that? Sin. Jesus came to deliver us and save us from sin. So think through that third service. If Jesus came to deliver us from sin, to set us free from the kingdom of darkness, then I think it's easy to see why it's imperative to obey Jesus. Because Jesus will show us how to be saved. So we better obey him. Remember the words of Jesus that we read last week in John 8? It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he says, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now look at that verse, third service, and tell me, how does one get to the point where he or she never walks in darkness? By what? Following Jesus. So tell me, is obedience to Jesus important? Of course it is. He will show us how to not walk in darkness. His words are life. And he's a gentle teacher. His yoke is easy. He'll show us how to walk in the light, free from the kingdom of darkness and bondage. But obedience to him is crucial for this to happen. So let's connect the circle again and see if it makes sense. If the end game of the gospel is salvation, and salvation is being set free from darkness and sin, then the gospel had better point us to salvation. The gospel had better result in salvation. If it doesn't, it's not much of a gospel. 
Like we talked about last week with the Jews in the concentration camp, if they were told that they're free but they have to remain in the camps, that, that's not much of a freedom. So what kind of gospel would produce such a powerful salvation as that? I'll tell you, it's the gospel of the kingdom of God. I told you last week that I would try to condense the gospel of the kingdom of God into a simple sentence or two so that we could wrap our heads around it. Well, it took three sentences. Here's the gospel of the kingdom of God. This is Jesus' gospel, and this is the long version of it, okay? The gospel of Jesus is that life in the kingdom is available to us when? Now. We can experience the kingdom of God, and we can live in it by placing our confidence in Jesus for how much? Everything. And because we have complete confidence in Jesus, we will be his constant students in living out this life. That's the gospel of Jesus. Now, here's a more simple version of it. You can live in the kingdom of God by trusting in Jesus. Now, we, that word now, you could live in the kingdom of God now should be in there, by trusting in Jesus. Now, here's an even more simple version of this gospel. Jesus is available to trust. And so what you need to do is what? Trust him. Now, you may be asking, well, Luke, where's the mention of the cross? Why isn't Jesus' work on the cross mentioned in this gospel? Well, actually it is. Because if someone believes in Jesus, believes everything about Jesus and everything Jesus did, guess what? It's part of the gospel. If I believe in Jesus, then I believe in his commands that he gave us. If Jesus says, love your enemies, then I believe him. Everything he says, I believe it. If I believe in Jesus, I believe in the necessity of his death on the cross being a sacrifice for my sin. Of course I believe that. If I believe in Jesus, then I believe that his resurrection was absolutely necessary for me to live the kingdom life now. If I believe in Jesus, then I believe that he had to go to the Father so that he could send the Spirit to indwell me so that I could live the life that he lived. I believe in Jesus. And if I believe in Jesus, then on and on it goes. Everything and everything about Jesus is included. I believe it. And therefore, I will follow him. That's why this gospel is so important. Now, I want you to look at this gospel. I want you to study it. It's the long version. And I'm going to ask you some questions, and I want you to answer these questions out loud together, okay? Looking at this gospel, is believing in Jesus crucial in this gospel? Yes. yes. Okay. Is following Jesus crucial in this gospel? Yes. Okay. Is obedience to Jesus crucial in this gospel? Yes. yes. Okay. You've answered yes to all three of these questions. Then tell me this. If I believe this gospel and I believe in Jesus and I follow him and I train as his student to obey him and I grow in obedience more and more and more, will I get to know Jesus more and more? In other words, will I have an interactive relationship with Jesus? Yes. So then, are you telling me then that I will experience eternal life? Yes. Okay, then let me ask you this. As I begin to experience eternal life by having an interactive relationship with Jesus, will I experience salvation in my present life, deliverance from the kingdom of darkness, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage, freedom from addictions, and experience it right now? I won't have to wait for heaven? Yes. yes. 
Tell me, third service, isn't that good news? Now, that's a gospel I can pour my life into. That's a gospel I can let take hold of every part of my life. My thoughts, my emotions, my mental well-being, my physical body, my spirit. This gospel affects every part of who I am. That is salvation. And that's what this gospel produces. Paul says it like this. Romans 1.16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to how many? Everyone who believes. First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. Guys, we never have to be ashamed of this gospel because this gospel is power. And whose power? God's power. Power that brings transformation to those who believe it. It takes hold of their life and it forms them. Spiritual formation begins to happen in their life. Now you might be saying, well, what is spiritual formation? Well, it's the process of shaping an individual so that they love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, and they love their neighbor as themselves. This happens when we follow Jesus. Because when we follow Jesus, we are participating in the kingdom of God. We are participating in the activity of God. And the activity of God can be summed up in these two activities. Loving God and loving others. Those are the two greatest commands. Jesus shows me how I can do that. I learn from him because I'm a disciple of his. A student of his. Someone who is learning to be like him. Now listen to this. The more and more I become like him, the more holy I become, the more blameless I become, the more righteous I become. I become more like that wall that represents God. And I aim for perfection. Why? Because God is perfect. And Jesus says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. And if Jesus says that, and I believe in Jesus, then that's what I'm going to aim for. Amen? Amen? My goal is to become like Jesus, to imitate God by imitating Jesus. And think about it. It's brilliant. Because if we were created in the image of God, then it's imperative that we image God. That we look like him. Well, by obeying and following Jesus, we can finally do that. The gospel of the kingdom of God leads us to that. And as the church, the body of Christ, as it does this, we become a bride that is holy and blameless, without wrinkle, without blemish, ready to meet her groom when he comes for us. Amen? Now, I know I've dumped a lot of stuff on you. And I tried to complete all the circles and the dots, and hopefully that happened. Everybody track with me? Do you feel like you tracked with me? If not, I encourage you, go back and listen to the sermon and take notes and read the passages. Because, guys, this is so important that we get this. We have to get this. This is why the gospel we preach is so important. Because ultimately, the outcome that it produced, the outcome that is produced, flows from the gospel that is preached. Therefore, we must preach the gospel Jesus preached. If we preach this gospel, the gospel of Jesus, we will be making disciples of Jesus. And that's what the Great Commission tells us to do. And if we do that, if we do that, let me tell you, with the power of God flowing through us, we will be piercing the darkness. Amen? Amen. 
Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your truth. And I know for myself, your truth, sometimes it punches us in the face. Because we, we have so many ingrained ideas and habits and belief systems. But God, your word tells us that Jesus is truth. And so we want to believe you, Jesus. We only want to believe what you have to tell us. So God, break down any belief systems that are faulty. Break down anything that we believe that's wrong. Because we want to follow you. Use us to pierce this darkness. I pray this in your mighty name. Amen. Guys, I, I really, really do love you. You have an amazing week. And shine the light of Jesus. Pierce this darkness. And I look forward to seeing you next week. In 15 minutes, we're going to be having a child dedication. So if you 15 minutes, chat, high five, but you can meet in the hallway. But the rest, of the, if you, in the child dedication, we're going to meet here at 1215. Thank you.